Scop is one of our great Christian Reformed storytellers. And one of his fictional stories describes the fatherly care of God through the profession of faith of a woman he calls Crystal T. Lindert. Crystal grew up in a troubled home, and she was a wild teenager. And truth be told, even as a married woman, she was the subject, along with her husband, of much town gossip. It surprised the elders of the church who had watched her grow up, who had prayed for her and her family, who saw her come to Sunday worship maybe only once in a while. It surprised them when she asked to come before the elders and make her profession of faith. They were glad she had made this decision, but some were suspicious too. After all, she was pregnant, and some of that town gossip wondered who the father really was. And elders know surprised pregnancies prompt righteousness. But for too long, anybody who saw her saw her face full of sadness and even a little anger at her parents, at herself, even God. So to see her glad, that was a new thing. Something was happening. Now, this is a fictional story, but what the author is describing for us is something of that personal, private, intimate providence of God that works salvation in your heart and mind through the things that happen to us and the things that happen not to happen to us. Through our own hearts and minds, our sorrows, our stubbornness, and our stumblings too. So Crystal's words are meant to make us think of our own responses of faith. Crystal said to the elders as she made her profession of faith, I have come to believe that who I am and what I am is something in a way already determined. And I don't mean to sound as if there's nothing I can do about it either or should have done. I'm not proud of who I was or what wrong I've done, not at all. But while I'm sorry for what I've been, sorry for my sins, I'm not sorry in a way for the experience because what I've come to believe is that I wouldn't be here, wouldn't have experienced God with me to save me if I hadn't been what I was. I'm ready, she said. He's really come into my life. And now it's time for me to be something I've never been. So it's a story for each one of us. There is pain and there is hope. There is confession that we have not loved God as we should. And there is also surrender and trust to the saving grace of the loving Lord Jesus. And there is a thankful response to believe and to belong and to be something new. I encourage some of you who haven't made your profession of faith yet to hear this invitation. Belong and believe and be someone new. Crystal said, who I am and what I am is in a way already determined, as if to say, the Father has given you the gift of life, 
with your strengths and your weaknesses, your joys and your sorrows, your fears and your failings, holding all the things of your life in his fatherly hand so that you come to depend on the Lord Jesus. And now it's time for you to be something you've never been, made new for God's glory, made to believe, made to be in a relationship with him. And this is true for those of us who have responded in faith and have made our profession already. In the providence of God and the working of the Holy Spirit, we do believe, we exercise trust and obedience. So now your life begins, your work begins. Live out your profession, keep your promises. You're now a disciple of Jesus, so be a co-worker with him. Take your place to love God and your neighbor and your church. The providence of the Heavenly Father assures us that all things work together for my salvation. The deepest desire of God is to make you and me his own. It is the gracious work of God that makes us a Christian. And this intimate work of God that makes us a Christian then restores us to what it means to be truly human. So we may truly believe and live thankful lives of obedience so that we are co-workers with God in restoring creation. First we become Christian, then we become human, and such grace works to restore nature. We get all this from Joseph's story with his brothers. Joseph has no doubt that God providentially ordered all these things that happened to him, as bad as some of them were. And he recognizes with thanks that he is in the position he is now to serve God by caring for the world. So we're meant to hold these seemingly opposite things together. God wills all things. Yet still, by that life-giving will of the Lord, God's people are free to believe and live for God's glory. God's sovereign care doesn't mean that we are chess pieces on a cosmic board that the Lord moves around. We are finally liberated so that we are responsible to exercise faith, to repent of sin, to love what God loves and obey the Lord. That's what Joseph's story reveals for us. God sent him to Egypt, he claims. He also says to his brothers, you did this to me. They acted. God sovereignly fulfilled his word. Trusting the Lord, Joseph now works with God. He forgives his brothers. He promises to care for them. He serves in Pharaoh's court of all places to work for the flourishing of others with mercy and with care and love in the gospel. 
No one says here that Joseph's brothers couldn't help what they did. They harmed Joseph and Jacob and the family. They made decisions, bad decisions, sinful decisions, no excuses. They had sold Joseph, their own brother, as a slave into Egypt. They left him for dead, telling his father Jacob as much. You intended to harm me, Joseph says. They did all this. They are responsible. If you know the whole story from the start, the family was set apart in covenant relationship with the Lord. By God's mercy, God chose them for a specific task. Joseph was set apart even in the family as one with a special destiny. They all grew up under the providence of God. Still, they are responsible for their actions, and their sin has consequences. And God, as the just and merciful parent, will let his children face the consequences of their sin and bear the brokenness of the world for the glory of God. In Genesis 50, we hear Joseph say, Rightly to his brothers, you intended to harm me. Rightly, says Joseph. Joseph then chooses instead to respond differently, faithfully even through tears. So when we talk about the providence of God, God's fatherly care for creation, for you and me, God's sovereign will over all creation, that doesn't mean we don't have a choice in what we do or choose not to do. In one of Shisako Endo's stories and in the Graham Greene classic novel, The Power and the Glory, both authors give us a Christian character who's, who's weak, who can't be trusted, who too easily confesses a fickle faith and says, I can't help that God made me that way. That's not true. It is because of God's will that spiritually dead people in their sin are made alive, made to respond, made to have faith, to believe and to live out that belief. When you are saved by the precious blood of Jesus and his sacrifice on the cross takes away your guilt and shame and his righteousness is put into your heart, you are made to believe. The gift of salvation isn't just a thing. This isn't just a statement out there, outside of you. It's a new heart and a new will. And you are free to believe. Yes, we live by God's mercy. But by the resurrecting love of Jesus, we truly live. We are responsible to repent and to love the things that God loves and despise the things that God despises. Can we acknowledge this? Our choices are even in the hands of God's providential ordering of the world. Now, those of us who like to study theology, I'm going to give you a little bit here. The rest of you, if that's too much, just take a break for a minute. But just one paragraph. Because how do we put this all together? We call this concurrence. 
And concurrence means two things happening at the same time. To say there is a concurrence between the providence of God and the free actions of human creatures. They both happen at the same time. Look at Joseph's brothers. They sinned. They disobeyed. They sold Joseph, their brother, into slavery. They lied to their father, saying Joseph was dead. They lied again to Joseph, saying, Dad said, go easy on us. God didn't make them do that. God is not the author of evil. They did it. Through it all, the Lord provided for the care of Joseph, who then cares for the world. God provides you and me with a will of our own. The Lord's love recreates us to love. The Canons of Dort, one of our confessions, reminds us of the eternal weight of our actions and the precious value God puts on how we respond in our day-to-day to the Lord's presence and his calling in our lives. It says this, God's divine grace does not act in people as if they were blocks and stones. We're not just a piece of wood or a rock. All those in whose hearts God works in this marvelous way are certainly, unfailingly, and effectively reborn and do actually believe. Their will, now renewed, is not only activated and motivated by God, but in being activated by God, it is also itself active. It says, you and me have a will now. It's been resurrected. God has made us new. So choose the things of the Lord. Act out your faith. Believe and belong and be someone new. And we see this in Joseph himself. His life reveals that we are made to be, we are made to be co-workers with God. Partners in restoring creation. He says to his brothers, it was to save lives that God sent me ahead of you. But God sent me ahead of you, he says. It was not you who sent me here, but God. And those famous words from Genesis 50 that many of us learned, you intended to harm me, but God meant it for good. To accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. The Lord made Joseph a ruler, saving people through the famine in the land that they were going through and providing for his family. God is the provider, and we are co-workers with God, partners in the Lord's fatherly care. So see what I'm saying? God is in control of all things, but not control as we think of it. More graciously, life-giving, life resurrecting, not coercing, not manipulating, not forcing. God's works are greater. Sacrifice, righteousness, mercy, love, even righteous judgment, 
These are the things that transform life and creation. And we have a problem with this because in our limited minds, we think the only way to control things is to manipulate them and coerce them. We don't trust enough the saving love of God to do that. But Jesus died on the cross. And his death on the cross accomplished the transformation of creation. And that was the love of God that did that. God tolerates evil says Herman Boffing, because he is able to govern it in an absolute, holy, and sovereign manner. God, because he is God, never feared the way of freedom, the reality of sin, the eruption of wickedness, or the power of Satan, because he knew he was absolutely able to control sin, and he deemed it better to bring good out of evil. And that's where we come in. That's why faith is the victory that overcomes the world. That's where the Father's providential care transforms us for service. That's where the living Lord Jesus gives you and me a cross to carry. That's where the Spirit gives you gifts and works to harvest the fruit of the Spirit from your life. The Lord's fatherly care providentially saves us in a way that awakens within us our task to work now for the Lord in all we do. Look at Joseph. How does Joseph describe his thankful response to the Lord's saving grace? He talks about his work, his job, what he's called to do, how he lives. God made me ruler, he says. I will provide for you, he promises. Joseph recognizes God's faithful providential care and trusts his well-being to the Lord in the work he does. He's good at his job, but he recognizes God's hand with him. He is saved by God, and he receives this gift by giving himself to help people in the land flourish. Joseph does this by his work. And in a sense, we do too. So one response for us to God's grace is in our simple human tasks, our work. Whether we go to a job or for you who are younger in your schoolwork. When things go bad, we struggle to trust that God cares for us. One way to help reassure us again is in the simple human devotion God gives us to the tasks that we have. Make your marriage good and loving. Make it a faithful relationship so your spouse flourishes. Give the best of yourself to your family. So love, support, and care are shared in your home. Share in your neighbor's well-being, not with an agenda, but just to care for your neighbor. Put in a hard day's work. 
Be faithful mathematicians and plumbers and cooks and piano players. Learn grammar, but also learn your spiritual gift. All these daily jobs of ours make us partners in the providence of God. We are made Christian to be made human, and this grace restores nature. Never forget the gifts of God, any well-being, any enjoyment, any job opportunity, any success, any goodness, any righteous act. It's all a gift of God. But see in this the Lord's will to be faithful with those gifts. We are to live in such a way that we enhance our neighbor's flourishing and liberty and responsibility too. And then recognize the way that your neighbor helps you flourish. Pray at the restaurant table also for those who made your food and served you. Say thank you to those who work in the senior homes and take care of your parents. Support locally owned businesses. Participate in your neighborhood associations. All these and more can awaken within us a sense of gratitude and make more real to us the providential care of God so that even your faith is more real. And for some of you, well, now it's time to make profession of faith. Jesus Christ died for you to take away your sin. Your parents have been believing for you all this time, and your congregation has worshipped with you and nurtured your faith and prayed for you and with you. These are all good gifts of the true God who cares for you as your Father. So it's time for you to believe and say so in the presence of your spiritual family. And others of you have already made your profession of faith. It's time to live it out as co-workers with the Lord. God's workmanship created for good works, which the Father has prepared in advance for you to do. Maybe that starts with confession for you. To confess where you've been too distracted in life. I don't know, maybe you're waiting for God to impress you. Or you're stuck because life isn't going as planned. Joseph was harmed for many years. But God never left him and he knew it. It's time to remember you have Christ in you. We are co-workers with God and partners in the providence of the Lord. Maybe the things going wrong in your life are the point of it all. Right there we meet with Jesus. Meet the God of suffering who ministers to and with you. Joseph's story ends with this invitation to belong together and find strength, devoting our days to the providential things of God. Don't be afraid. I will provide. He reassures his brothers and speaks kindly to them. He's a partner in the providence of God. And that's our invitation too. Frederick Beekner inspires us. 
The final secret, I think, is this, that the words, you shall love the Lord your God, in the end, become less a command and more a promise. And the promise is that, yes, on the weary feet of faith and the fragile wings of hope, we will come to love him at last, as from the first he has loved us. This is God's patient, providential work. Well, that's it. Next week, we begin the season of Lent. So we have to pause this series on providence. I have one more message to get to, but we're out of Sundays for that for now. So today, our take-home word is co-worker. We are co-workers with God. In the weeks before, other words have helped us understand the providence of God as God's fatherly care. The first word was minister. God ministers to us, awakening within us a sense to minister to others, to share in their grief. The second word was grace. Grace is what transforms human life. And the third word was suffer. It is in suffering that the Lord is closest to us in his resurrecting power. The one word we didn't get to yet was prayer. So that will come down the road, yeah, when we can get to it. But for today, the creator gave you life. The Lord died for you to forgive you and give you new life in Jesus. The cross shows that God's will is finished exactly as our Lord desires. So let's live out this new life in all trust and grace, as a co-worker participating in the providence of the Father. Amen. And let us pray. Heavenly Father, Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, Holy Spirit, all praise to you for your saving love. Holy is your name. May your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. By your spirit, guide us to thank you by our believing and being the new creation made for your glory. We thank you for shared ministry and the Christian Reformed Church. Bless our support of missionaries and relief workers, inner city and chaplain ministries, justice work and support for communities in need. And bless our congregational ministries, creating connections with Christ and forming faith in Jesus. Hear our prayers for each other. Bring strength for today and bright hope for tomorrow. Lord, we think of Ginny Jopp and George Van Denen and their ongoing chemo treatments. Pray for Hal Beatty and strength for him after his CAT scan this weekend. Pray that the doctors have determined how to continue helping him. Pray for Hank De Bruin, who's dealing with foot problems, limited at home. Lord, we, we, we can pray these things. We can trust these things to you because you are good. We see that again, and seeing John Coima here, and that he's received news that his blood clot is gone, he's doing better. We thank you for that healing mercy. Lord, today, Bobby Moore is preaching his classical examination sermon. He's nervous about that. So be with him as he shares the gospel. And be with he and Carissa in their preparations to move here and share in our ministry with us. 
And so, Lord, would you hear the prayers that we offer today for faith and forgiveness, for hope and for healing, for patience and for an enduring uh, spirit within us to live for you, to be thankful. And we say all this and pray all this in the name of Jesus, our Lord. Amen.